Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you could check us out on Twitter at at PW Comics World. I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And also, but first... And also, don't forget... <laughs> <laughs> and also, don't forget to like us. If you're listening, come on, give us a rating. Uh, give us a like on YouTube or on, uh, pardon me, on iTunes. You know, just let us know how yeah. we're doing. Leave a comment. Uh, give us some feedback. We love yeah. hearing feedback. As we love to say, talk to us. We love to hear from you. I mean, we sit here in this office and we talk about comics. And frankly, it's almost abstract that you guys are out there. So show up. Uh, let us know you're there. Because when I go out into the world and then I run into someone and they're like, oh, I love your podcast. I'm always gobsmacked because go. we never have, we don't, we don't get much feedback people. So, you know, en- en- enable us and empower us. Besides everything else, we're emotionally dependent on you. Yeah. And All right. not only that, like you can affect what you hear. There you go. Yes. All right. This week on more to come is the direct market broken <laughs> uh you know yeah more to come on that uh top selling comics of 2018 pw's top comic stories of 2018 and a look at the people of the year and then the brief so uh is the direct market broken um a rhetorical question? Well, you know, we ask this question every year here on the podcast or every month here on the podcast, every 6 months on the podcast. I think this time it's a little more serious. There's definitely been quite a bit of uh, unrest on all of the re- secret retailer forums. Uh, and Brian Hibbs just wrote a column for uh, The Beat where he talked mm. about what was going on. And, you know, Brian is always like things are crappy. But this time he was like things are crappier. And, I mean, you know, we saw a very flat year. The, the, the top mm-hmm. comics just came out. The statistics for the year from Diamond just came out. And the year was flat. Things were up 0.6%, which you know what? That means it didn't drop. Yeah. But it means it was flat. And I think that's a triumph given all this other stuff that's going on. But as, as, um, as retailer Phil Boyle pointed out, this direct market has been running on the exact same business model for 46 years. 46 years. years. And you know, a lot has changed in 46 years. Uh, yes, it has. Seriously. Now, I mean, I, I, I read Brian, Brian's, uh, column, um, but, and, and I and believe me, and and his criticisms are are well taken. But you know, uh, the things that he's talking about. I mean, we've written about them and talked about them on this show many, many times. Uh, a lot of this is about the floppy, right? And its role in the publishing ecosystem. Uh, really, I mean, what Brian is doing is here. He's bringing. He's talking about the entire system, how comics are sold in the direct market, and. Uh, I mean, we can go down the list. Uh, you'll recognize the problems. Yeah, but I mean, I think there's some benefit to touching on it, despite the fact that individually these are topics we've discussed in the past. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, what brings it to, to the news is that, um, basically the, there was a public statement from Comics Pro 
released as an after-action report from their 2018 meeting explaining pretty much the collective complaints and suggestions of the attendees of Comics Pro, the major gathering of comics retailers. So this means that it's not just Brian Hibbs typing this stuff in. Like, this is being, uh, I guess you might say, conglomerated from the input of many, many industry professionals. Yeah, and I mean, Comics Pro was last February. It's almost a year ago, and this just came out. However, their their issues still are relevant right now. Yes, and, they are. You know, yeah. I think Phil Boyle's column that he wrote for ICV2, which was taken from a secret retailer forum where a lot of these feelings are being shared, uh, shared away from the public eye, I think this really lays it out. Like, I'm just going to read the first one here, because this sure. one... Is kind of captures a lot. Uh, the problem: ninety percent of the books coming off the stands at the end of their shelf life have zero value as a back issue. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My solution, he says, we're looking at each title. Any title that falls in that ninety percent range is slated for sellout. We used to order for back stock and still will on that ten percent, but the rest are now on their own. So, I mean, let's talk yeah. about that. That's, That's a good life choice. Um, it is, but I mean, uh, you know. Overproduction. Yeah. Well, there's way too many comics right yeah. now. I mean, Big Bang Comics of Ireland is literally going on a tear as we're speaking here, and they're talking about there are just too many comics for the audience. But there's, it, but, but you can actually break the overproduction uh, problem down into different aspects. Yes. Variant covers. Variant yeah. covers are the worst. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I can go on the list. Uh, uh, endless crossovers. Yes. Um, you know, they have their value. I mean, it's very interesting. And everything we talk about here, Hibbs goes on to say that, you know, in isolation, in moderation, all of these things deal. are actually useful. But they're all spun out of control. Well, I think it's, you know, basically like the direct market is a junkie. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like all of, we've talked about all of these things. Like you're, you, you nailed it, Kelvin. All these things, variant covers, and you know, relaunches, constant rebooting, constant events—they're all uh, an adrenaline shot to, shot to the heart to bring you back to life. And you know, all of them. It, you know, it's like me and my caffeine addiction. It's like every once in a while I have to scale back. Because you can't just keep escalating. You it's develop a short-term you, you develop rush. a tolerance yeah. for all of these methods, and I think they are just about played out. Yeah, um, yeah, and some of these are ridiculous trends that have caused trouble for the comic industry in the past. Like the comic industry hit a huge market correction in the mid '90s after the comics collection boom, and a lot of these issues were an issue then. Yeah, but they were, but but the entire uh, milieu, the entire bigger picture of comics is a hundred and thousand percent different now mm. because there are three more revenue streams than there were in the yes. '90s. There's online, there's mm -hmm. the book market, uh, there's mm -hmm. web comics, and uh, you know there's, there's way more comics publishers. There's way more periodical comics yeah. publishers, and and also. There's a lot more collected editions in both physical and, and digital form, which I think contributes yeah, to I, lack of value for back issues. And you, you know, Brian said, and of course I'm good friends with Brian, and we have been arguing about all this stuff for 30 years, uh, and uh, he said something that to me showed a remarkable sense of maturity on his part, 
and it's, I have to be honest, I don't think I've ever heard Brian say this before. He said, let me be clear, I'm not worried about comics, not the medium itself. Okay. It's fine as a creative endeavor, if only because there are plenty of distribution options for non-periodical formats these days. For is, a yes. retailer to admit that the direct market is not the be-all and end-all of the comics industry, it's pretty huge. I wish you could, guys could see Calvin right now. This He's jumping in his seat. Because, and, and I say this because I'm a book trade guy. Uh, but I understand and embrace the critical importance and also the, just the emotional and the mythological importance of the direct market. This is where I became a comics fan. And I think this is where I think we all did to some extent going to comic, going to the local comic book store. But it, it has ossified into a weird see no evil philosophy. And, and to me, this is what Hibbs is talking about. And we've talked about it in various ways. I did a panel at San Diego about the. We're always doing something about the new uh, uh, retailing mm-hmm. and lamenting some variation on these same issues. Um, I mean, I I thought that was interesting because he doesn't refer to the book format that much. I don't think in this column, and it's a long column. Mm-hmm. But that is a key element. And I think another thing he says: Are we selling the comics medium, or are we just moving DC and Marvel fictional product. Right. And at the same time, you know, both Marvel and DC are going through some really big corporate changes. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, especially at DC, I've talked about that and, uh, you know, behind the scenes, scuttlebutt, uh, that a lot of things are being looked at. And, uh, you know, uh, I think some some retailer said some gossip, which I hadn't heard, but uh, it was like the, the scuttlebutt is that when the AT&T people who just bought, uh, you know, Time Warner met with the DC people, they said, uh, you yes. know, are you still printing things? <laughs> I, see, I, mean, I, I find that a little hard to believe. I but do too, it might but be I wouldn't be surprised. It, yeah. Um, I will say this. Another specter, I, I'm not, I don't really know whether he mentioned it specifically in this, but I think it's in the, the Comics Pro recommendations, the issue of returnability. Right. Well, that's, This has got to be key. This is something that retailers go on and on and on and on and on about, about how they love the returnability. And, um, you know, I like Boom is the number one. They have this very huge – you don't have to actually ship them the issues back, which retailers love – Dark Horse has returnability, you know, DC has returnability, even Marvel has some returnability. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much every publisher has some, some. kind of returnability program. You know, I, I'm a little skeptical. I don't think it's the panacea, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, I don't. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know to what extent, I mean, I know that there's far more re- returnability in the direct market than it was back in the day. Um, I, my understanding was that this is this often very targeted series that they're yeah. trying to very get them to things. experiment on. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is a key element in the book trade. Yes, I mean the book trade would not exist without returnability. It takes the it shares risk. It, the publisher and the retailer share the risk of a new book. It's designed to make retailers want to take new product and take a chance on it because they're not stuck with it if nobody wants it. Yeah. But I, I have to say, I think that, uh, you know, it's part of the answer, 
but it's not the answer. Yeah, it's not the it's answer. Not the total you know, answer, but and, it's a, and another thing, you know, thing. like I mean, I was been chit chatting with a lot of people mm-hmm. about these issues because uh, I think part it's also part of the uncertainty of our times that we're living in right now. For I mean, I'm not just talking about our political reality, which is bizarre, but retailing. I mean, mm-hmm. the book market in general, bookstores, Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon, all of this. You know, there's a huge question about the future of all of this stuff. Um, but you know, talking about variants, I mean, the variant economy affects everyone yeah. because if you were to go to the art community and say, Hey, guess what guys, you can't, and gals, you can't do your variant covers anymore, which are very lucrative creators. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you there would be crying and yeah. moaning and weeping because they make a lot of money doing those, you know? And I think one thing, you know, there's two things. Anytime I'm around a lot of retailers, there's two things they ask for returnability and they say, we need a product that's going to bring people into our stores. And, you know, you can't just create a new saga yeah, on I mean, command. And, cause, and w- the publisher response to that, in my speculation, is to create endless new series, hoping that something sticks. Yeah. That's yeah. what publishers do. Well, I think the problem is not so much, I mean, in my opinion, it's not so much a new series it's when you have like five new series all starring the same characters it confuses the market when you have and it's not even set in a different universe when you have two wonder woman books when you have five batman books when you have six thor books like <laughs> it's hard for the reader to be like which one is the good one again right. yeah you know it it you may need a little consolidation yeah uh, yeah yeah. Good luck on that. Uh, I think, I mean, he pointed out in January 2019, there were, what, 1,100 titles released. Of that 1,100 titles, 454 were new, actual new <laughs> material. Over 650 were variant covers. Yeah. yeah. And part of what they're talking about is the time, the resources, the expense of publishers sorting through all of this, trying to figure out what they want. And what they can sell. Well, you know, as David Gabriel of Marvel said at a retailer meeting about 10 years ago, he said, look, you guys, if you don't want them, stop ordering them. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I can't argue uh, with I that. Mean, and that would be my advice to comic stores. Yeah, and they don't because they make money off them. Yeah. But, I mean, do they? Do they really make enough to make up for it? Somebody's I me mean, likes them. You know, look. Well, obviously, or is it a gamble? <laughs> if six hundred, if there are six hundred re- variant products out there in a month, and they're buying them, that means that somebody is buying them. Somebody is collecting them. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, sometimes the way they sell it is that they just you automatically get like three variants shipped in your stack of like ten action comics. You know. In which case, like, I mean, frankly, if I'm in a comic book store and there's a stack of the same comic and they're all the same price, if one comic has a slightly prettier cover than the other, then sure, I'll take the prettier cover of the same comic. But I was going to buy that comic anyway. And so I think it might be hard to disambiguate those sales. Yeah. Like, how many people are really buying, like, three copies of the same thing because variant cover? And how many people would have bought, you know, issue 27 anyway? And just I mean, picked one how up. How big is prettier. the collectibles impulse in today's comics market? I mean, I have no idea. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's non-existent. Obviously, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think people like their 
there, there are, you know, favorite artists. I yeah. mean, in some ways, what we've got here is that the pamphlet itself, the floppy, has itself become a precious object, you know? And I mean, I'll be honest, when I'm cleaning up my house and I come across these comics with their really great covers by wonderful artists and they're also cool looking and, mm-hmm. you know, I hold it in my hand, trembling for a moment, and then I put it into the to be, <laughs> to be, not recycled. I mean, I, I donate mine to yeah. the local shop. But, um, I, I you know, you. but, but, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's not a. I've been donating mine to Word Up Bookstore. Yeah, I, just, exactly. I give them boxes and boxes. Yeah. But if I, floppies. you know, and I have boxes and boxes of floppies too, one of these days I'm going to get them from mm. under my bed. I mean, yeah. I love them and I love the covers. And then I just look around my apartment and I just think, take, I, I don't, I'm not a collector. I'm an Tell accumulator. Me. Yeah. I was going to say that, that you have to understand from the point of view of people who have seen Calvin's office, <laughs> is that the point at which he decides he has too many comics is still way more comics than most of you have ever seen in your lifetime outside of a store. It's it's a troubling uh, syndrome, yes. Let's <laughs> just say Marie Kondo would have a long yeah, believe visit me, to my There's more house. than 30 comics in my office. No. <laughs> you can no. believe it. Um, I mean, there's another issue in the book, and I say this with no animus toward these two pub- these two great publishers. And, but Hibbs points this out. It, what is the role of Marvel and DC? How many stores exist to do nothing more than sell Marvel and DC comics? We'll just leave it at that. I mean, they're great publishers. They're, we talk about the characters that we love that they publish, every, you know, almost every week on the show. But I, still. So you may be wondering, listener, you know, so what? So what? You know, and some stores are doing well, and some stores mm-hmm. are riding the waves of this. And like I said, I, I, I'm trying to digest this, this Big Bang Comics thread that's rolling out right now, and... and um, you know, they're giving a lot of practical advice, but, but you know, what if a lot of these crappy stores, uh, pardon me, what if a lot of these, uh, <laughs> vintage stores, uh, you know, did go out of business? Well, you know, honestly, the direct sales market would have a very hard time, and a lot of smaller publishers like Dark Horse and Image would really have a hard time. They would have to drastically redo their business model. I mean, the bookstore, library, educational markets have taken over some of this. Hmm. But not all of it. Yeah. The direct market is a cash cow for these publishers. And it would be very dire. So we really do have this circle of trust where everybody yeah. is kind of keeping the, the trampoline aloft. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, a lot of people act like the way to do this is by going la 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 la, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, in order for the publishers not to antagonize the comic shops and the comic shops not to antagonize the publishers. That's not how you keep an industry healthy. You have to be honest about this stuff. And you have to be honest with yourself about it. Because I do think that a lot of comic store owners, they're small business people who maybe not all of them have very creative business plans. Yeah. And sometimes you have to be ruthless and you have to say, you know what? I'm not going to carry that comic. or I'm not going to carry more than like two issues of that comic. Because I'm not going to sell more than two issues of that comic. And even though it may make me sad when somebody's like, oh, why'd you run out of Aquaman? Um, It's better than having 50 issues of Aquaman I don't know what to do with. Yeah, absolutely. And And so sometimes you just have to be ruthless. And you have to say, I'm not going to buy those variant covers. Yeah. And I mean, I I, I think that that in that way, returnability is the only way forward. You know, I mean, if if they're just ordering to sit on, you know, to sell out in the first three days, why then, you know, you're going to need to have some returnability for those for those other customers. And And um, I think you absolutely have to do it to introduce, in my view, 
new stuff that you want retailers to take a chance on. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, you know, honestly, guys, I just feel like we're going through a little rebirth now. I feel like we're going through a difficult period. Yeah. I mean, it's like Brian said. Comics are not going anywhere. Comics no, are great. Comics not. are better than Comics ever. Comics are doing great. Yeah. It's the retail system that, uh, we're, that we're worried about. And I will say one thing. <clears throat> I mean, the comic shop market and comics in this country, and I think that comics as we uh, embrace them across three different generations of comics fan, uh, were this isolated world that didn't matter whether it was isolated right. from the rest of the world. We talk about civilians and, you know, and us. Uh, and then we, we talk about it that way for a reason because it kind of didn't matter. Comics existed in the broader culture in a kind of weird, distended way, but really it, it had its own world quite literally in the direct market. Um, you couldn't really go and buy them really in any place else, but that's over with. Um, and the, and the newest generations, as we talk about all the time, of comics fans don't necessarily want to go to comic stores to buy them. Comic stores have got to reinvent themselves. Well, they, listen, I'll tell you what they do want. They want a really fun, unique retail experience. Yeah, you know? that's what they want. And when you go to a really great comic shop, you get that. When you get to a, go yeah. to a great comic shop, yes. you absolutely get it. Yeah. Now, if you, if it's a, not a great shop, I don't know what to say. So, um, yeah, it's I a mean, new world. Uh, there's a, there's more channels. There's more ways to consume comics without going into a comic shop. So the and, comic shops need to step up their game. Yeah. I mean, my personal advice would be, are you a comic book shop owner? Are you over 50? Are all your friends over 50? Please talk to your youngest employee <laughs> and say, hey dude, do you got any ideas? What do your friends think they'd like to see in a comic book shop? Do I have any posters on the wall that creep out your girlfriend? Like, you know, right. is your mom afraid to come in here? And then listen to what they say and consider upon it. Yeah. And I will say this, that many of the, the complaints that uh, Hips talks about, they all showed up in the, the PW Comics retail survey la um, last year. So, you know, this stuff is out there. And many of them are. And they're talking about this. And once again, my point is to say, you know, take a look at the book trade and see what you can take from there. Because many of the retailers in that story, we're doing, we're saying just that also. Yeah. So are we? We're doing the retailer survey this year too, right? Yes, we are. All uh, right. Shannon O'Leary is right. hard at work oh, on it good. as we uh, sit. Excellent. Well, She's pre preparing questions to send out. So it comes out next month. Correct? It comes out in the, in the February 11th issue yeah. of, of PW. So well, yes. I'll tell you this: there'll be more to come on that. Yes, there will be. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime. Doubt. Uh, the bestsellers of the year also came out, and the bestselling comics, the Diamond Re Diamond released its uh its top its t uh, well they have the top five thousand copies if you really want to drill down <laughs> yeah uh, no. I think the top ten are sp are sufficient we'll for purpose. us yes um and uh you know uh, sneak peek uh the beat is working on getting the book scan numbers which oh, you might see analyzed cool. in the coming month. Right. Uh, so, uh, uh, the top 10 graphic novels and comic shops, uh, the number one was the Infinity Gauntlet, which came out mm -hmm. 29 years ago. Uh, <laughs> but guess what? It tied into, uh, one of the year's top movies, Avengers Infinity War. And really, you know, the story in there is very much with uh, Thanos and all that. Yeah. His Actually, that's quest for the gauntlet. Because when I first got into Midness, people were telling me, oh, movies don't affect comic books the way they Isn't do. Isn't that funny, Kelvin? It's, it's changing. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Well, now, to be fair, that was 15 years ago. That was ago. a long time yeah. ago, but it's interesting to see now that yeah. this has, the well, needle does move. Well, uh -huh. I have noticed a trend in the years we've been doing this podcast, and it's very, very consistent. If there is a book 
that is both good and has a clear relationship to the movie has something to do with the plot yes. of this movie other than just having the same characters in it. Yes. Then it will spike. If it's just like, oh, well, we had the Wonder Woman movie and now we're going to have a storyline in the Wonder Woman comic about uh, about Wonder Woman's long lost brother who we've never heard of before. <laughs> like, that's not going to spike. Yeah. It's womp, not going to spike. Yeah. So, you know, you have to coordinate it's not funny. it. I mean, it can, the book can be 20 years old, but it, it has to have a connection. Yeah. And if it has a connection and it's a good book, it'll sell. And if not, yeah. then, you know, there's, you're going to lose that I think the same thing spike. happened with Winter Soldier back a couple it years did. ago. It did. Absolutely. It yeah. did. It, it had totally an did. obvious mm-hmm. connection. It wasn't exactly the same. It didn't need to be. It had a lot of the same beats. It had a big chunk it of was, the plot. Was, yeah, yeah. And it was mm. well executed and it sold. Yeah. So, and, uh, it would be very interesting. Uh, it doesn't seem like I haven't heard yet, but I need to investigate whether any of Aquaman titles have gotten a similar bump. And I haven't really seen that much. Now, you yeah. know, because definitely some of the, you know, Jeff John's very passionate about the character and some of his work definitely kind of fits into that. Um, just writing down some more of the top graphic novels. Uh, the next three after that are three volumes of Saga by mm. Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, then Action Comics, 80 Years of Superman, The Walking Dead, Paper Girls, another perennial, yeah. Batman White Knight, a big, big success for Marvel there, uh, uh for, for DC, DC, pardon me, Dark Knight's Metal <laughs> Deluxe, People Like Batman, yeah, and that number 10, Monstrous Volume 1, uh, which has become uh, another yes. huge seller for Image. And then in the periodicals, Action Comics number 1000 is the top seller, followed by Amazing Spider-Man number 800. Uh, the rest are, I, I will say this, charting are Fantastic Four number one, Amazing Spider-Man number one, Return of Wolverine number one, and Venom number one, uh, and also Batman Who Laughs number one. But, you know, I think Marvel had a big comeback year last yeah. year, mm-hmm. and I think that's a big reason. And, and a rebuild year, Yeah, too. a big rebuild. And a lot of people won't ever come out and say that because everybody hates Marvel so much, but, you know, come on, people. I mean... Oh, people get mad at both of them. Yeah, it flips. It but, flips. There's still a website out there called Has DC Done Something Stupid, stupid Today? Indeed. Right, yeah. So, <laughs> And they have... They still reset the counter on the regular. Yeah. Uh. So, uh, anyway, those those numbers are all out there, and, um, you know, we could look at some more. I don't have the top 5,000 graphic novels in front of me right now. <laughs> Uh, it might be interesting to look at that. Yeah. Perhaps I'll I'll parse it and have some insight. Um, so it wasn't one of the best selling novels, uh, graphic novels of the year, but certainly the most acclaimed graphic novel yes, of the year was uh, Sabrina by Dick Dardasso. I hope that's how you pronounce his name. Yes. And uh, and I just wanted to note, uh, we just wanted to note that he was the uh, recipient of uh, the profile in the New Yorker, in the yeah. print edition of the New Yorker, which Man. is about as high as it gets. Yeah, and it, the, the story's called the Bleak, the Bleak Brilliance of Nick Drazano's Graphic Novels, and it's uh, it's by D.T. Max, a uh, New Yorker staff writer. And I, and I have to say, uh, this is one of the best, um, most incisive, and in, and actually kind of moving articles about uh, a comics artist. I think I've read in a very long time. It's touching. Deeply analytical in the process of how someone puts together a work of art that happens to be a graphic novel. Yeah. So I, I, I just, by all well, means, going, uh, I would say that. I mean, the reason why Sabrina got so much attention, it was nominated for a Man Booker y- yes. Prize, mm-hmm. and it had a lot of literary figures and uh, comics yeah. literary figures praising it. I mean, I will say this profile is very hard to read. Actually, yeah. I mean, it's very revealing, and you know, I had heard. Uh, Dronasso doesn't like to travel. He doesn't do comic shows. Mm. You know, I think he came to the Brooklyn Book yeah, Festival. Yeah, he did. I met him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a bit 
uh, I won't say reclusive, but he doesn't like to travel that much. And, you know, this, I would say this profile should come with trigger warnings because it really talks yeah. about some very, very traumatic things that have happened to him, some difficulties that he's had. Um, I mean, um, I actually saw some Donasso haters online kind of stop in their tracks after they read this profile. Uh, well, they should. I mean, yeah, I, I, I thought well I was going to cry at a certain point. This, this, this story breaks down the, the, the relationship between the, the, the art object, the thing, the audience, and the artist. That triangle that creates meaning. It's just, it's really just a fabulous profile. Right, but I, I would also say that it's kind of the summation of the entire school of the self-loathing, socially isolated yeah. graphic novelist. Yeah, you know, that kind of started with R. Crumb and goes on through Dan Klaus and Chris Ware and Ivan Brunetti and uh, all of whom are also from Chicago. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> They're all Midwestern. Um, I am an East Coaster. I'm a Yankee. I I can't touch that. But just just saying, just saying. It it does it does <laughs> it does it does kind of really kind of move around that particular yes. trope without a doubt. Yes. 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 But still, it, it, it's really a, a tremendous piece of writing about art. And, yes. And and, and in this case, the art. And just a real novel. triumph for I mean to have a yeah. cartoonist get this kind of recognition Absolutely. in the New Yorker. You Absolutely. Know. Okay. Uh, next. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, PW's top comic stories of uh, 2018. We're just going to go over three of them, and they represent certain trends. Uh, and I think the first trend that it represents, <laughs> frankly, is the triumph of the LGBTQ-themed comic. Yes. Uh, a new generation of queer comics um, uh, artists doing queer stories. Um, uh, yeah, I actually don't know whether, 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 um, Ngozi is queer or not, but, um, she makes a comic about a queer pie baking, uh, ice hockey player, um, uh, that's absolutely delightful. And all of his wacky friends. And all of his wacky friends, and it's absolutely delightful, uh, beautiful, beautifully drawn. Yeah, and I think it says something about the position of LGBT comics today that, um, Check Please has a following equally among queer audiences and and just among comics fans in general. Uh, okay, maybe not straight men over 30, but still <laughs> in general. Yeah. I don't mean you, Calvin. You're fine. I get that you get it. You know, it's men who use Gillette razors. They like it. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, uh, the, our most popular, the most read I, story on... Um, uh, com on about comics was a story announcing the final year of yeah. Check Please. And I just want to give Kate a shout out because she interviewed Ngozi yes, years she ago. Was the first I was one. like, you, you were, I was like, it's going to be huge, guys. And yeah. you guys, you were, were like, first what? out of the game, and it was, it and was it was one of the very first in-depth interviews that she had done. Yeah. So it was pretty it, much the only yeah, one because, yeah. like, I had said, Big okay, I'm going to Ngozi. Don't be mad at me for saying this, but like. We had a whole off the air conversation beforehand where she's like, I don't know, what should I, like, what, what, like, privacy for myself? I don't know, what, I'm not sure what I feel comfortable talking about. Can you tell me what you're going to ask me about? I'm like, it'll be fine. It's a comic industry interview. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you about your personal laundry. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And it was fine. Oh, it was, yeah. And, and really, the first out of the gate. You yeah. know, of a really great interview. Yeah, but props, props to Kate yeah, on absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Very quickly, uh, the second most read story on the 
uh, on pw.com last year, uh, was our comics retailer survey. Uh, <laughs> and really, and it brought out many of the, 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 the themes and the problems we, we were just talking about. And lastly, I'm going to mention the third most popular story, uh, on pw.com last year about comics. It was the, our story about Abrams canceling the controversial suicide bomber graphic novel. Um, so, uh, there's many more. If you go to publisherswiki.com slash comics, you can read a top ten list of the most read stories about yes, comics. Yes, and uh, all very fine, fine stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of best this and most that, uh, at the beat, we did our Comics Industry Person of the Year. Uh, now, this is a poll that we do with creators. We run a creator mm. survey at the uh, end of every year, and we ask them who their Person of the Year is. And, you know, it's been really good. Last year, it was Emil Ferris of My I Favorite Thing of Monsters, <laughs> a, a book you might have heard of. Um, and, you know, this year I kind of knew who it was going to be, uh, uh, which is Stanley. And, you know, he is the second uh, posthumous winner. Uh, Kim Thompson, also one person of the year. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I mean, as, as, uh, he was the, um, you know, it was a huge, as one of our commenters said, uh, his passing signifies a huge milestone in comics, a BC and an AD, and we should award him one final note prize. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But however, a second one who got quite a bit, and I said was newcomer of the year, was Olivia James. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so interestingly, the two people of the year don't even exist on this plane. <laughs> you know, one has passed away and one is a pseudonym. So, yeah, so. Um, well, she exists. <laughs> we just don't know what her right. birthday is. I know. Is. Well, uh, both, well, both are pseudonyms. Stan Lee's uh, real name was Stanley Leibowitz. There so, um, so there you go. <laughs> and no uh, one said Stan wasn't real. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, you know, I also, a person who really got a lot of support, uh, she does every Annie Koyama, named her oh, the publisher uh, yes. of the year. Certainly, most loved person. In she publishing. is the most loved person <laughs> in publishing. Um, you know, Tom King, the writer of the year, and then four cartoonists who got a lot of mentions: uh, Leanna Fink, Lisa Hannibal, oh, yeah. Lauren Weinstein, and and Gozi Yukazu. Well, uh, right. You know, and guess what? All four of these cartoonists were firing on all four yes, cylinders last yes. year. And um, so, you know, just to, to echo something we said earlier in the podcast. The comics industry is doing just fine. Comics you know, are doing yeah. great. Creatively, we got some very good stuff going on. So, yeah. All right. Uh, and I guess we'll segue from there to the briefs. Yes. So, um, speaking of comics and <laughs> yes we were you know what you know what I'm just gonna this is this is a terrible segue listeners I'm very sorry let's let's see is there any way I can segue into Aquaman no no I can't so I'm not going to bother Aquaman just, needs no segue just you can dive just, in just dive in you know what I'm sure you can make a Put splash a Kate. yes yes <laughs> look I don't want to be a wet blanket come on so. you've been, you've been <laughs> treading water long enough <laughs> okay so um Aquaman has topped one billion dollars. Talk about a splash! Thank you, China. <laughs> um, so, so remember, remember, listeners, if if you know anything about Entourage, it was like a running joke <laughs> that Aquaman was the biggest comic That's book right. movie of all time, That's and true. like it was supposed to be hilarious because who would watch an Aquaman movie? Never gonna happen. Well, the answer is a lot of people, a lot of people are going to watch an Aquaman movie if it's this Aquaman movie. <laughs> because, um, as of the, um, time, yeah, as of the time of this article, it has now topped Dark Knight Rises. It is, it is the most profitable 
DC, DC movie. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, that. it passed. It's like nine hundred million, passed right? Batman. Oh, it's in the billion. Yeah, it's made in, over it's a billion worldwide. Billion, yeah. You know, it passed Batman versus Superman. It passed the Justice League. Um, you know, it passed, long ago. Yes, yeah. it passed Wonder Woman internationally. Wonder Woman made more domestically. Which yes, is interesting. Americans like Wonder yes. Woman better. Yeah, uh, but, but worldwide, Aquaman sales better. And uh, you know, there's some people at Warner Brothers who are just privately very uh, confused. Very, very confused. <laughs> but it's a good confusion. Maybe it'll make yeah. them rethink some things. Um, I've heard some speculation. Well, I've read some speculation that part of why it's selling well worldwide is China, because it's been selling really well in China, mm-hmm. and that part of why it's selling well in China is, one, James Wan is a very popular oh, director right. there. Point. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and and no, he's not uh, Chinese-born, although he is ethnically Chinese. Uh, and two, that China loves mermaid movies. <gasps> mermaid movies sell like gangbusters in China. <laughs> wow. That, like, well. a, like a number of their top hit movies are like light-hearted mermaid movies. Like, <laughs> Little Mermaid was big. This this Chinese like action spectacular about a mermaid comedy was like huge, and so they were like, too? yeah, they were like, they were like, <laughs> we we got mermaids, we got James Wan, we got Jason Momoa without a shirt, we're good, <laughs> and it sold. Well, there you go. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Amber Heard in her iridescent green skin tight suit, which apparently took her like thirty minutes to put on. <laughs> I mean, given that that thing clearly had a corset on under it, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. well, anyway, referred anyway. to our last podcast for a long discussion of her what she was wearing. <laughs> uh, in in big numbers, but less happily, one point four million dollars in comics have been stolen from a private collector who was sort of considering this to be like his nest egg. Um. I mean, he hadn't spent $1.4 million on these comics, you understand. This is just clever. Yeah, yeah, they were appraised. It was clever collecting over the years. And um, let's see. Uh, Let me see if I can't get you some details, listeners. Yeah, I was going to say, $1.4 million. What was it? I mean, was it it like (laughs) 7 billion copies of, you know, comics? How could you even, you know, after we were just saying there was no back issue values? I I, I put money. The Catwoman rappelled down the building, found her way into the, and made off with her favorite comic book character. Most of it is Bat. It's got to be Catwoman. Yeah, it was an indoor (laughs) storage unit. Somebody broke into his storage unit in Boca Raton and um, it was double locked air conditioned and the t- there were actually only 439 comics in there but together they totaled 1.4 million dollars. Oh, this guy had good taste. So did he have like d- Detective Comics like number one? <laughs> no but he did have a large variety of Batman and Detective Comics issues um, all of which were um, yeah, were, were stolen, <laughs> and so he has put the alert out to the comic book community, letting them know which books it is that have been stolen, so that people can keep an eye out to see whether any lots start hmm. sounding right. And um, so, people, if you see someone selling CGC graded bat- high end Batman comics at surprisingly low prices <laughs> and from a Florida address near Boca Raton call this man and tell him 
that you may have a lead. Yeah, and you know, it is kind of, I mean, there's been some other thefts from storage units mm. of valuable comics, and you know, maybe a storage unit isn't the safest place to keep <laughs> Apparently not. really and valuable questions. If you've got these kinds of yeah, comics. Especially yeah. if you're going around like, well, Wimbledon Green boasting about how valuable it's, your comics yes. are. <laughs> well, I mean, was he? Was he? Well, I don't know. We don't but know that. We, we don't know. It's a joke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but be careful, people. You, you know, maybe, maybe if there's only 438 of them, maybe <laughs> store them at home in a lockbox. Maybe, maybe a more professional, uh, uh, vault than, um, a storage unit. Well, something, something closer to home and not next to somebody's boat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> In a wonderful version of the Streisand effect, given that I didn't know this comic existed until a lot of conservative Christians got very mad uh. about it existing. Um, pro tip, guys, if you don't want people to read it, don't talk about it. Um, DC's Vertigo Comics has a Jesus humor comic coming out. Now, you can argue about how respectful or disrespectful <laughs> it is given that throughout it Jesus is a nice guy um, but basically the idea is that uh, God kicks Jesus out of the celestial house for uh, disagreement and so Jesus ends up rooming with a superman with not superman sorry <laughs> a a superhero named Sunman. Yeah. Uh, Could and possibly be based on anyone. Nope, 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 nope. And so it hasn't come out yet, but it's going to be coming out from Vertigo. And by all counts, it looks like it's going to be a buddy comedy that appears to be pretty Jesus positive, albeit <laughs> like non-canonical. Um, and what's it called? It's called, it called Second Coming. Yeah, and so second coming is uh Jesus ends up on earth because God puts him on time out. And apparently he's not too happy with the way uh his teachings have been uh <laughs> been translated to the or communicated to the power or how they're being practiced. Right. Anyway. But I mean that's that so, is not what I would call a controversial opinion given that his followers have been disagreeing on how best to carry them out since well, pretty much two minutes after he died. Well, that's something that uh, I think a lot of fundamental Christians sort of conveniently ignore. <laughs> but anyway. Well, I mean, I'm sure they have arguments with the way other Christians carry yeah. those out. So, you know, yeah. it's par for the course. But in any event, it hit the news cycle. And um, and it even got an entry on Snopes.com, a fact check. To see, is this a conservative <laughs> hoax, or does this comic actually exist? <laughs> to which the answer is, it is not a conservative hoax. It will be coming out. It's just not out yet. Uh, but I just thought it was really funny that it ended up with, immediately ended up with a Snopes.com entry. Just so that, you know, people <laughs> were like, people are just like, is this fake news? This sounds like fake news. It's not fake news. The Irish Times is sponsoring a graphic, um, a graphic story, uh, graphic short story competition. I think it's really interesting. It's, uh, it's the, there's a long article in the Irish Times, uh, about these two women, uh, Debbie Jenkinson, who's the author of this graphic novel, Remorse, which I have not written, but is apparently is, uh, really highly regarded. Uh, another woman, Sarah Bowie, and they're in this group called, uh, they're an organization called Comics Lab that really promotes 
It's a workshop for uh, doing independent comics. The Irish Times has stepped in to try to help encourage um, independent comics creating in there, and it seems really great. And the winner are going to be is the deadline is in March. The winner will be announced at the Dublin Comics Artist Fest, and it's uh, it's a really terrific article, really kind of about the state of independent and alternative comics in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm going to throw in a brief here, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of ties in a little with your DC Second Coming story. But, uh, uh, you know, Drama by Randy Telgemeier is a book that is constantly oh. being, uh, you know, banned. And so it was banned. A Catholic uh, school in Ottawa, Canada had banned it from the library because it showed two boys kissing. <laughs> and there was a lot of pushback from local politicians, from parents, and from Raina Telgemeier, of course, herself. I mean, she's certainly used Great. to having this book being banned. And, you know, they did, they had to announce after the outcry that they would put the book back Good. on the shelves. But, um, you know, so there's still some free speech there out go. there. There you go. And um, let's not forget that this weekend, um, starting uh, Friday, January 18th, and going on to, on to Saturday, January 19th, it's the 7th Annual Black Comic Book Festival at the Schomburg Center in Harlem. Uh, this show is bigger and better every year. In fact, it's getting a little bit too much better. It's... The crowds are so extraordinary uh, that it's, you know, a little scary, but they they found a way. I mean, it is a, a line to get in, and they've kind of kind of way to, to try to filter down and keep the crowds in hand. But really, um, there's a full day of pro, uh, programming uh, with stuff about, you know, science fiction, creating black fantasy, uh, Afro-Puerto Ricanos, um, black nerds. Uh, it's really a great show, great exhibition. Uh, there'll be indie publishers there, so check it out. Friday and Saturday, January eighteenth uh, and nineteenth, the Black Comic Book Festival at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, one of the great uh, collections of Afro Americana. So, uh, in Harlem, USA. Well, and on right. that note, on that note, there will be more to come. <laughs> <laughs> 